welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. The text you're about to hear follows last week's uh, reading in Mark of a miracle within a miracle. You'll recall uh, the raising of Jairus' daughter from death and the woman healed of a 12-year illness in the middle of that miracle, a miracle within a miracle. In both cases, the key element was faith. Jesus said, always aware of faith around him, to the woman who touched him, that it was her faith that made her well. And in the face of the news of the death of their child, Jesus said uh, to the child's parents, do not doubt, only believe. And believing, he took them and James and Peter, James and John and no others into the room where the child was and the miracle occurred. Faith, the presence of faith last week, okay? Next week, we're going to hear of the death of John the Baptist. But this week, we hear of the absence of faith in the Holy Gospel, according to Mark, the sixth chapter. Jesus came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money for their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you, and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake the dust, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. A little more than sprinted in your bulletin, I know. 
Well, uh, let's uh, begin just a brief touch in history here. Let's, let's think 500 years, okay, 500 years uh, before the birth of Christ. Not thinking within the people of Israel, but I just want you to think, okay, 500 years before the birth of Christ, and there was a Greek philosopher, I'm not going to bother you with his name, it's one of those names you can't pronounce, much less remember. But it was 500 years before Christ's birth uh, that uh, this Greek philosopher observed, and I quote, and I recognize this as 500 years B.C. He said, a man cannot step into the same river twice. A man cannot step into the same river twice. In the simplest of terms, that statement might seem on its face wrong. <laughs> Many have gone down to the Yellowstone, or you go to the Tongue, Okay, and uh, you go time and again and you step into the same river has the same name but on the deeper level the river that person stepped into before uh, and steps into now and never twice the same flowing as they do Okay, the rivers change constantly ever flowing downstream toward the Missouri, the Mississippi the Gulf of Mexico to return to the mountains of snow. Never the same. Never the same. I visited earlier this week with um, a long-standing member of the congregation. And she possessed the wisdom of perspective uh, that life experience and, and time can only teach. And I shared this passage with her. And she said to me, uh, it's the river of life, isn't it? It's the river of life, isn't it? And I said, yeah, you're right, it is. As the great hymn, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, reminds us, time like an ever-flowing stream soon bears us all away. That's the truth, okay? That's the truth. The old Greek philosopher was right. And it's a hard truth. A hard truth. We know it, but struggle to accept it. Jesus, in his humanity, experienced it in today's gospel lesson. When he went home, when he went back, when he returned to Nazareth and was rejected. There is and I tell you, can be no turning back. Only forward. Only forward. These words were not the words of some courageous warrior in the face of battle, the words of our philosopher. But as I say, express an immutable truth about being human, about being us. Little less than God, you or me. Recall Jesus wrestled with this, uh, this question uh, with the Pharisee Nicodemus who visited Jesus seeking his counsel. And Nicodemus wrestled with the question when he asked Jesus what the Lord had meant when he said you must be born from above. Um, Jesus explained that there were no do-overs to Nicodemus as Nicodemus might have thought on the physical plane where we are now 
playing out the story of our lives. But Jesus said there may yet be new birth if that life was sought on the vertical plane, okay, from above, on the spiritual plane, life on the spiritual plane. For there is and there can be no turning back, only going forward. Sounds simple. It sounds simple enough, I know. But that simple statement may be one of the most frightening truths I can think of. We use the big word existential truth. That may be one of the most frightening truths I think of because it becomes more true the longer we live. Today, the world is mindful of the children, and I haven't been you know, in the past couple hours there to check out what's happening. But today the whole world is mindful of the children trapped in that cave in Thailand. Okay? And as we follow that, we know that once they begin their escape, once they begin their escape, once their rescuers have arrived, but they have to affect their own escape, once they begin it, they cannot turn around and go back and do it again. Once they're committed, they are committed. They can't return to that rock womb that seems safer, certainly, than the water through which they have to pass. For them, it's a physical impossibility. It's too small. You can't turn around. And there is no life back where they were, even if they could. Again, there is. There can be no going back, only forward. That simple question, however, begs yet another question that only we, created in God's image, can ask, so far as I know. That is the question, what comes next? What comes next? With that question, one realizes that ultimately you're not finally the one in control of things. And that can be frightening. That can be frightening. Perhaps during the time of youth, when we were kids, some of the kids here today, what comes next might bring anticipation, but it's anticipation born of innocence. But once life experience begins to replace naivete, unbridled optimism becomes an increasingly rare commodity, doesn't it? Huh? Adam and Eve's tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That took care of that. All right? Took care of that. And so it was in Mark's gospel that Jesus returns to Nazareth. He went back home where he had grown up and where we're given a litany of brothers and unnamed sisters, doubtless meaning cousins, okay, because of both the number and the way it's presented. So people of Nazareth knew his family and he was the son of a carpenter and therefore he was a carpenter and they knew him and and he goes back and he's not like the prodigal son who upon his return was received by the father with much celebration Jesus's return to Nazareth was greeted with uh, skepticism at best outright animosity it appears for Jesus seems to have forgotten his place In the pecking order of society, he was a carpenter, not a Pharisee, nor a priest, but a carpenter. 
and a carpenter you were, and a carpenter you shall remain. Recall, initially, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. That's when this uh, really seems to come out. And by the way, that word synagogue, you know them as Jewish houses of worship. It's really the compounding of two Greek words, synagogue, okay, meaning we gather together, synagogue, to aggregate something is to bring it together. Okay, So a synagogue is a place, a Jewish house of worship, where they gather together. And when they gathered together and Jesus first began to teach, everybody was amazed. Wow, listen to this. huh? Jesus' words were powerful. He spoke with a confidence. They were even hope-filled. But power and hopefulness was neither expected of, nor would it be tolerated from a carpenter's son. And so we are told they rejected him. They rejected him. We are told also this lack of faith, and specifically told lack of faith, within the community of Nazareth was stifling to Jesus. Jesus found himself unable to bring to bear the miracles that were abundant every place else he went. Everywhere he was received with faith. With faith. Nazareth's pervasive lack of faith led Jesus then to observe in those famous words, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town. And so Jesus moved on to the surrounding villages of uh, Nazareth. Jesus' connection to Nazareth seems to have been severed, forever severed. He couldn't go back. In his humanity, he experienced that. And so, immediately following, Jesus brought together the twelve, and he paired them up into teams of two. Then he commissions them, each pair with authority, his authority. The twelve went with Jesus' authority, and with Jesus' trust in the response that they too would receive when their word was heard in faith. Okay? For Jesus told them not to go provisioned in any way for what they were about to do, not to go provisioned for a journey, but to depend on the largesse, to depend on the response of those who would receive their message and the ministry that they were entrusted with. By so doing, Jesus established the pattern then for Christian ministry by the church that was to come. Despite his rejection in Nazareth, Jesus yet held a very optimistic view of the future. He was committed to it. Huh? Again, there's no going back, only forward. But the key was to go forward in faith. Always sensitive to the presence of faith was Jesus, who touched me in last week's gospel lesson. Okay? He was in the presence of faith, and he knew it. And the woman explains everything, and he says to her, it's all right. It's all right, child. Your faith has made you well. With one last touch with his home base, Jesus seemed to have known that his purpose was now to go forward. And he would soon learn of the death of John the Baptist. So he was right, confirming that. His purpose was to go forward, always forward. And it wasn't easy, but he could increasingly see that forward meant the cross. 
but he also saw beyond the cross. The Father, the Father had established the Son's directionality, his flow. The river of Jesus' life was moving as it was meant to move. The momentum, though, forward, always forward. And Jesus would complete his ministry. Jesus would go on to the cross, and he would also know the resurrection. And the twelve that he sent out, they'd become the church. God's will is not always easy, but it is God's will. The church would grow, but it would also have martyrs. There would be setbacks. There would be distraction. But the Great Commission was to go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And they were to be unyielding. Forward. Only forward. Always toward the kingdom of God. Forward in faith. Never in retreat because retreat is born of fear. Faith is the opposite of fear. As the church, we as the church, we as individuals, we really have no option but to press forward. There will always be distractions, and there's always going to be setbacks along the way. There will always be, I call them shiny objects, (laughs) that distract us, but they distract to our destruction booby traps are always appealing aren't they if they were not so they wouldn't be what they are booby traps are set and always appealing they always look like that that beautiful shiny wonderful fruit filled thing that we want looks they look like that beautiful fruit looked in the garden of Eden huh? oh so tempting Oh, so deadly. So I ask then, what are the booby traps of faith today? What are the booby traps of faith today? Not apples anymore, okay? Not apples anymore. The booby traps of faith today, they include things that we encounter as we flow, as we move forward, like old broken dreams, shattered relationships, objects or belief systems that call us to trust them to trust them human passion remember that means suffering passions and emotions then there's some things that people cling to cling to more tenaciously than life itself more than God systems can be booby traps like unquestioned loyalty to a political agenda or party. Notions of social justice, but notions that emanate from forces and dynamics popular in one day and forgotten as a dream the next. Cults of personality, financial investments, a belief that we can hold on to what we got. Okay? As if, as if the inevitable flow of time is somehow for us going to be dammed up 
and held in check. Such beliefs, such booby traps, they are evidence of a lack of faith, perhaps in some, malformed faith, misshapen faith. I'm not sure how to describe that word, but it's faith in trouble. Faith in politics, faith in culture, faith in the permanence of things as they are is evidence of a profound human folly that we are guilty of. Huh? It's a profound human folly, and we're all prone to it. That is in a phrase, human nature, human nature. That is why, in part, we, you, I, we, this morning, are here, are here to worship to worship God. That is why we keep placing and then finding that we have to replace and yet place again God in Christ in our lives. And the closer to the center, the better. No matter the moment's circumstances. Because there is, there can be no going back, only forward. What lies beyond, what promises remain after things and relationships, aspirations, intentions, infatuations fade? <laughs> Who but God in Christ knows? Who but God in Christ, though, remains ever faithful to us, committed to us, and remains ever the hope and the promise of the future? I know of nothing else. I know of nothing else. As Jesus left behind Nazareth, as our Lord walked away from that place that had been so nurturing to him, so good to him, okay, as he was growing up, he left behind all those things he once knew in his youth, in order to flow, to move, as the Father was directing him. So too was, must we be willing to acknowledge, let's just be honest here today, we have to leave behind all things but our faith at some time, and our hope that is born of that faith and the resurrection to eternal life. And how does Christ come to us that we might accomplish this? that this might be done. Christ comes to us by the means of grace, the word, and sacraments. Okay? God does not come to us by our infatuations or through our infatuations or our imaginations. Because that's a kind of idolatry, right? To create God in your own image and after your likeness and knowing that what you got, what you want, is certainly what God wants. That's a kind of idolatry. Again, there is, there can be no going back, only forward. Forward. Where Christ is. Forward. Where Christ is. To greet us. To meet us. Forward in faith lies at the very heart. And if you ever talk to me about the subject of the ascension of our Lord, okay, I understand that in the 
the text of Scripture, it is described spatially. He ascended. We confess that. He ascended into heaven. But I think more at the heart of this, to answer the question of where did he go? (laughs) He who is the Lord of time, who can travel time, he went from that day into the future, our future, our present. He has been there all along in our past. But he is there in our future to meet us, to greet us, so that we can move forward in faith without fear. Faith is the opposite of fear. Forward in faith, it lies at the heart of my understanding of the ascension, that teaching of the church of Jesus. Christ is always just ahead. He's always just ahead of us, there to welcome us, no matter what the circumstances, even when it is hard. He is there to welcome us so that we can look back upon all that was, thankful for what has been, and also at peace for what is yet to be. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 Kale Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church, Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.